Good morning, everybody. You guys good? That was pretty cool. I, th- I thought that was really cool. Um, my, my week didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. How many of you guys have had a week like that? It kind of takes a left turn on you. Uh, yesterday, I got a call uh, from, my f- uh, from my folks that said my brother had to go do an emergency surgery, uh, and uh, they ended up taking out his appendix, and he's good now. They did emergency surgery yesterday, um, and he's doing better. He's in a lot of pain, and uh, now he's drugged up and, and on the mend. Uh, but when he came out of the out of the surgery and he woke up, uh, he opened his eyes and he looked at my dad and he said, "Dad," and woke up in the middle of surgery. And my dad's like, "Really?" And he's like, "No, I'm joking." And then just went immediately, <laughs> immediately went to sleep again. If you know my brother, that is my brother Evan. We knew he was going to live when we when we heard that. We've been in the book of Daniel, and um, as we've been in Daniel, we've been taking a little bit more time in, our, in the, the sermon portion, just because there's, there's such depth in the story of Daniel. And I hope you guys have, have been blessed, and it's been something that's been encouraging to you guys uh, on Sundays, along with our worship and all the things we do when we come together. Um, but let me say this before I get started. I, I probably don't say this enough. Man, I love this church. I love you. Um, me and my wife are so grateful to be here in this community and we love you guys some of you guys we are new we've just met you we met you like last week at starting point or or we haven't even met you yet but we love you guys and there are, there are people that are walking through the sh- you know the shadow of death right now going through really hard times and i want you guys to know you're not alone you're in a church family we love you um and if you're new here you're joining a family that 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 really does we care we love each other and so i just want to make sure that's known we are placing you belong before you believe that means you are loved um let me uh let me just pray and we'll we'll get started father would you bless this conversation would you bless this time of of maybe seeing things from a new perspective learning lord would you help our our ears to be attentive would you would you help our hearts to be open and lord would you encourage people who have come in and they are discouraged and they're hurting lord would you come alongside them would you give people to them would you give conversations uh, that bring hope and life and joy and peace and lord we pray that your peace and your and your um your goodness would just rest on it, on us this next hour. We leave here a little bit different than when we came in. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to jump right in. This is the second part uh, to a two-part sermon. I gave the, the first sermon last week, and we're in chapter three, and that chapter just had such good stuff. We, we decided to divide it into two weeks. And um, what we've been talking about is really um, based off of what Paul wrote, a guy, a guy who wrote like over a third of the New Testament. He wrote this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And we live in a world that, that is based on conformity. And even people who are like, I'm not a conformist. I'm not going to conform to your ways. They'll go conform with some other people like against these people's con- you know, conforming. But they're just, well, they're just a reaction to that kind of conforming. And so uh, we live in a world that struggles with conforming to all kinds of things. And in our world, when there's pressure, when, there's, when the heat is on, at work, at, with family members, um, with our kids, with our lives, standing up under the pressures and the heat of life and standing up for the truth, standing up in love, 
not crossing lines that we know aren't good to cross, ethical lines, spiritual lines, faith lines. It's so hard. And the question we've been asking is, how do we stand up under the pressure in the heat of the moment and stand for our faith? And uh, we're going to continue that. And to bring us up to speed, there's this verse that kind of like brings everything back. We're jumping back into Daniel 3. And in verse 28, it gives us like a synopsis of kind of what's going on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, friends of Daniel. Daniel's the, the guy that the book is about and, and the book is named after. Um, Daniel's friends, um, it says this, they violated the king's command and risk their lives rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. If you guys remember, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, some people in our church call him King Neb, Nebi, whatever it might be for you. He built a huge nine-story idol for the whole nation to worship. It says everybody has to worship it. When the music happens, you worship. And everybody did except three people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're the only ones, only leaders in that nation that would not bow. Because they had decided they would never bow and worship uh, an idol, something that was not God. And uh, the king, as you can imagine, kings, how do, how do kings and tyrants take the word no? The stance of no, we're not going to do that. He did not take it well. He was pretty furious and he had a conversation with them and they basically said to his face, they said, look at, we don't need to defend ourselves. We don't feel like we need to defend ourselves. We just need you to know a, a few things. If God really exists, and we believe he does, then we believe he can save us. We believe that he will save us from your power. And uh, even if he doesn't save us from your power, we're not going to bow to that thing that you made. We're not going to do it. And they stood in love. They didn't start a revolt or rebellion. They didn't like start political machinations and manipulations. And they didn't, they didn't go that route. They just stood for truth and love in front of the king, in front of the tyrant, like the emperor of that day and age. If you remember last week, every idol has a what? An oven. Every idol has a furnace, and the king had a furnace, and he says, I'm going to throw you in here. So when they stand up against him, let's watch and see what happens um, to our friends who stand up to Nebuchadnezzar. And remember this, he, said, he, he asked the question, um, before before they give the answer and said no we're not going to to bow he said who can pro- who can protect you who can deliver you from my power keep that in mind as we read this in verse 19 it says then nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage when they stood up to him and the expression on his face changed toward shadrach meshach and abednego a little bit like my son's face uh the other day i don't know if they have that picture but uh yeah, so tyrants, and my son can be a tyrant, they don't, like having, uh, they don't like hearing the word no. And it goes on, verse 20, as he commanded some of his best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, oh, excuse me, let me back up, uh, a little bit before 20, he says, he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, like more than what was needed, like this is overkill time, like as if like there's a perfect temperature to bake human beings, like it needs to be seven times hotter, like he is going over the top, Does, would we say that maybe he has some anger issues, yes, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace because every idol has a furnace, has an oven of blazing fire. It's interesting to me uh, the anger that he has. To me, it's, it's, it's a sign not of power but of insecurity when someone has this kind of anger. Have you ever had someone this angry with you because of your you know, disagreement politically, parent, parentally, uh, business-wise, uh, faith-wise, um, economically, someone has a differing opinion. They get so mad, they metaphorically like throw you into the furnace. 
Like to me, that's a sign of like an idol. And if an idol's threatened, then we humans start to get the furnace out and start with the words, you know, like it becomes a flame that, that sets people on fire and they build a furnace. But I think it, it also is a sign of insecurity because a secure person doesn't have to fly off the handle. Anyways, goes on to say, so these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. It, 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 it killed them. Like the guys who are throwing them in the fire, the, the strongest men of Nebuchadnezzar are killed because of the, the heat. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire where everyone expected them to die. And if you remember, the advisors and leaders around King Nebuchadnezzar were the ones who kind of conspired to, to get these guys thrown into the furnace, get them in trouble. They're all watching. They're expecting them to burn up. They've won. And remember, these guys stood up when no one else did. They didn't do a rebellion. Um, they, 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 they could have just obeyed. They could have just been like, you know, maybe it's not that big of a deal. I don't really want to go into the furnace. It's seven times hotter than normal. I don't want to go into, you know, and like they could have bowed. They could have conformed, but they would not conform. And in verse 24, listen to this. This is really, really powerful to me. The king, the king Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? And his you know, leaders are sitting there and they're like, uh, yeah, of course, your majesty, we did. There are three people. Then he exclaimed, look, I see a four, a four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looked like the son of the gods. Here in this moment, God shows up in, a, in the most unexpected way. I mean, they, they were like, man, God can save us. But if he doesn't, you know, we, we're not going to worship that. And we're just going to. We're going to go to the next world with the Lord. That's what's you know, likely to happen. And I think it's so amazing that the king sees in the midst of the furnace that he built to build an idol. The thing that helped him build an idol is like at the very heart of this thing that's heated seven times beyond what it needs to be heated. In his rage and his anger and his pride, he sees God in the midst of the furnace. There's this, it says uh, there's one like the son of gods. And, and if you've studied the New Testament, you study the Old Testament, many of us, including myself, uh, it's not just an angel as if something could just be an angel. This is, to me, the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus before he's come to the, to, to the, to the world to save it in, in, the, in, the, in the form of humanity. This is God in the midst of the fire with his people. And I think it's just, I think this is an incredible moment. And look at this. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the God most high, come out. Who does he not address? The fourth person. Why? So he just threw into the fire to kill these men who claim to serve this God that they claim could save them. So he's just thrown in the servants of God and God's, God's presence is in the middle of this furnace. He's afraid. This king is terrified. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, friends. 
servants of the Most High God, as this huge like idols behind him, the Most High God that we all should be worshiping. I can't believe none of the rest of you stood up to me. It was a test. It was like Michael Scott with Dwight. It was all a test. I was seeing if you would tell me the truth. You know, it's like, friends... You ever seen someone totally lose and have a tantrum? Like, lose it. You know, they can't find the TV controller, and they're like, you, where'd you put it? And you're like, I never touched it. Like, you put it somewhere. You're hiding. And they just have a tantrum. They're throwing pillows. And all of a sudden, the controller is found under the pillow by which they were sitting. And they're like, friend, everything's good. Sit down. Watch TV. Have some Cheetos. This is, this is, the, this is the king. You know, friends. And he goes on to say uh, this. This is too good. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, the prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they said they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their head was singed. Their robes were unaffected. There was no smell of fire on them at all. And you know, like it, the fire roasted all these men who threw them in there and had no effect except to free them and free their, their bonds that they were in, but they weren't affected other than that. You know how much my wife would like would give my wife would give if I could cook something, you know, in my barbecue and my pit barrel smoker and not smell like smoke. I like I cook and I smell it. I'll wear like shirts that like have you know, I shouldn't be wearing, they should be in the laundry, but I'm like, no, I'm gonna smoke today, so it'll be fine. And um how many of you guys ever have you guys ever uh barbecued or smoked and like had the the fire like do like one of these things like wash over you and burn every hair on your face and body i did that about a year ago it was before i had my pit bear cooker and this thing just like there's too much propane and just like washed over me and it was so fast and so hot and so scary my reaction was this i just said flames just washed over my body you know like my eyelashes were gone my eyebrows were all funky my right arm because i I was like putting it over like all the hair on that were just gone i was just like you know, there's just like dust there. And it's actually how I lost all my hair. And um, this thing just washed over me. Like any men who are real barbecuers, you've experienced this once. There's, they went through the hottest fire and there's not any singe or smell of smoke on them. I mean, this is a miracle of God. And um, it goes on to say in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed this, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, this is amazing. He's realizing God's there and God exists and the stupid idol that he's worshiping is stupid and he shouldn't be making anybody worship this thing. And he's trying to minimize this horrible <laughs> sin that he's committed. And, and, and he's all of a sudden friends with God. He says, he sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives uh, rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that, <laughs> that anyone of, of, of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb. And his house will be made a garbage dump. And there's a few funny things to me in this. Like he, Nebuchadnezzar's taking a, step, a big step toward God. Which is a great thing, right? But he still has some rage and violence. He was like, everyone will be torn limb from limb if you don't worship. And it's so funny. If anyone says anything negative about this God or these men, what, like, what just came out of his mouth before like, they were fine? He's like, what God could save you? And he's enraged. And then he says this, for there is no God who is able to deliver like this God. He answers his own question. Who could deliver you? 
It's like, there's no God like this God. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. There's three things I want to pull out of this. Um, the benefits and the blessings of trusting God in the midst of the fire. We're going to cover those. You have notes. You can, you can jot those down if you'd like. And then I want us to land on something that's going to make us think a little bit. It's going to be a little bit, uh, it's going to make us think in a good way. And it's going to help us to see so that we can surrender our lives. But I want to talk about surrender first. Um, And notice that these guys surrendered not to Nebuchadnezzar like weaklings or victims. They surrendered to God. They said, God, you control our destiny. We're trusting you. And they just surrendered uh, their life to him and said, Lord, whether we're burned up in the oven or not, we're following you. We're going with you. And if, if you remember, one of the reasons for that is they looked back to get some clarity to look forward. They looked back at the history of their parents and their grandparents who were commanded not to worship idols when they were living in their own country and they had, they had power of their own nation, their own lives. And they didn't listen to God. And in Jeremiah 25 and multiple other passages, it's, it says that they worshiped other idols and gods and they served them. And God said, that like, is like the number one and two things I don't want you to do. Read the, you know, Ten Commandments. One and two are like, don't worship, don't make an image, don't worship other gods. And they do it. And so God says, I'm sending Nebuchadnezzar to teach you a lesson. I'm giving you the gods and the worship you want. And so these guys look back and said, we will not worship something like that because we know where it goes. They realized that they didn't have to be locked into the pattern and cycle of addiction and foolishness and sin of their family. Anybody sitting here who has got family history and generational sin and, and addiction and problems, you, like one of the most powerful things maybe for you today is here that you don't have to choose that anymore. If you've built up a history and a cycle of sin and addiction and problem, and you're like, have the victim mentality, well, I can't help myself and this is just my life and this is just, you can look back and by the power of God, you can break that. You can break through that. And we see that with these guys. They're like, man, we're going to trust the Lord. We can't do it on our own, but we can make the decision. We're not going down that road. And so they don't worship. Are you guys with me? All right. So let's go through these three things I think are really important to, to realize that there are blessings when we surrender, when we, go through the faith, uh, when we go through the fire with faith. Number one is God will walk through the fire with you. God shows up. God is with us. And I don't know what fire you're facing in your life, but there's a reality that like, we, we can choose to look, or cho- uh, look for God in the midst of the fire, or we can choose to just look at the fire, look at the problem, look at the, look at the issues. In Isaiah 40, 43, 2, it says, When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will, will, will not set you ablaze. God will be with us. He will, yeah, God has uh, promised us. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That God is, he goes through these things with us. He's not blind to it. He's not uh, oblivious to it. He's not ignoring it. That God is actually with us when we are suffering and when we're hurting. God's with us. It's no better demonstrated than when Jesus went through the fire of the cross. Arms outstretched and died for the sins of the world. The fire of, of sin in people's hearts and minds. And, and, and God goes through it with us. Number two, the fire, um, that started to burn you will ultimately burn the fire starters. You cannot build a fire. for This is for Christians, non-Christians, or anybody in between. You cannot start a fire for people with your anger and with your rage or with your indignance and with your pride or with your, like, I feel righteous. I'm righteously throwing people into the fire of my anger. You can't start a fire that hurts other people that won't come back on you. 
And it might be years. Some of you are like, I've gotten away with that. I've seen people get away with that. It might be years, but ultimately, you cannot escape the fires that you start. It always comes back. Can I get an amen? Let's be careful not to start fires. And to realize when someone is throwing you into, the, into their fire, like something that can kill the anger in you, like, I mean, I'm so angry at this person, look what they're doing, is pity. Like that fire that they're creating is not only, you know, they're hurting me, and, but it's going to come back on them. It's going to consume their life, that addiction, that rage, that whatever idol that they have always has a furnace, always has an oven, and that fire they're making is going to come back on them. I don't want that for you guys. I don't want that for anybody in this room. And if you're in the middle of like in your fury and rage or you're like cold anger and you're shunning and like not talking to people like that only, that will hurt you. Don't go down that road. Number 3, the same fire that burns the fire makers is the same fire that will free you. It will free you. Um I think this is amazing. In verse 25, it says, it says this. He exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed. Like they're, the, the ropes have been burned off of them. So what people try to use to enslave you can be the actual things that save you, that God uses to save you, to set you free. Sometimes the people's anger and their plannings and all their, if you've ever had someone try to use something against you, ultimately, ultimately, I think God uses that stuff to free us. If we're just like, we don't have to defend ourselves or whatever, we will be vindicated. Even if it's years, there, God will vindicate us. We can trust in that. It might be years and years and years, and it might be at the end of life. I don't know. It might be immediately someone will look foolish because they're trying to entrap you and enslave you with something that ends up getting turned on them. I love the quote by Nebuchadnezzar. There is no other God who is able to deliver or rescue like this God. There's something important to remember. Sometimes God delivers you from the fire to build your faith or to forge your faith. Sometimes God delivers us from the fire to forge our faith and to change us. Um, and sometimes he even we don't have to go in the fire and we trust him and he protected us. He took the fire away. He took this. He, he just changed the circumstance. He changed the, the table. Everything was changed and I was saved. And that builds our faith. Man, God, thank you. And sometimes, though, we go through, we go through the fire uh, and, and we go through it. Not just, we're not just saved from it, but we're delivered through it. And it purifies our faith. These guys trust in the Lord. They're thrown in the fire and they go through the fire. God's with them and their faith is purified. They said no to the pattern of their parents, to the generational sin of worshiping idols and, 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 and following the, these demonic idols that God said not to follow. And they said no and God delivered them. There's this vindication that's happening and this purification. And they represent, there are these leaders. Imagine all these other Jewish people looking at them and saying, wow. They stood up to the emperor and God delivered them. Like, what have we been thinking? Why are we more afraid of all these people and all these circumstances than we are of the God who can walk through the fire with us? And sometimes God delivers you by the fire to wake you up to his presence. In this fire, Nebuchadnezzar is looking into it and he sees, what does he see? 
He sees his enemies, the ones he's thrown into this, and, he, and they're, they're alive, they're fine. And then there's this fourth figure, this angelic figure, God with them, and his fire that he built for his idol to build his idol and to throw people in who didn't worship his idol is the same fire that reveals that he is just a little, little, little person in God's big plan. It's by the fire that he was freed from his foolishness and he takes a step towards God. Isn't that amazing? Now, I want to challenge us for a few moments to begin to think, how do you have this kind of faith? How do you, how do you get to a point where you can actually go through the fire or, or in, you know, see the fire even and, and, and stand up to it with God? How do you have that? And, and I think it comes by clarity. Some of us don't see things cl- clearly. We live in a world just like the way I'd compare it to is like a few weeks ago when we had all that toxic smoke that came in from all the fires and, and, it, and it was blinding, it was bad for our, our lungs, you know, unless you're a chain smoker, then you loved it. Um, you, you couldn't see the mountains, you couldn't see the beauty, it was just everything was hard to see and breathe. And, and so many of us live in this world that has like toxic fumes. We don't have clarity. We don't know what we're living or we're dying for. We don't know what really matters to us. We, we, what ends up happening is we, we like, we contract out our thinking. We contract out our way of seeing in the world. And what Christians need to do is we need to get clear. Clarity creates courage to stand up to the idols, to stand up to the king. So we talked about this last week. Clarity came by looking to the past to look forward. Clarity comes by, um, by, by being with God, spending time with God, looking up. Clarity comes by looking up to him. And, and, and some of the best decision makers, people who are able to see life clearly, are the ones that spend the most time with God. And I, I'm, that's from personal experience. And so maybe if you're struggling with clarity, if you're struggling with courage, Maybe ask the question, have I spent any time looking up? Have I spent any time with God? And the two I want to focus on are these. Um, and these are in your notes. Clarity comes by looking forward. Clarity comes by looking forward. Clarity doesn't come by renting out or contracting your thinking out uh, to Google, to your smartphone, to your political you know, party, and to you know, this news channel and that news channel. Like We live in a world that says, we want, you know, we want you to be smart, we want you to be brilliant, so do what we say and think what we think. And we believe in those lies, and we'll like, contract our thinking out for us. And one of my goals at Whitewater is, is to have a community that learns to think together, to ask good questions, to look up to God for answers, and to like, seek wisdom with one another, and to think for yourself, and not let other people do your thinking for you. Because maybe, just maybe, God has an insight He wants to bring out through your life that will help others. And maybe, just maybe, He's got insights through other people, if they're thinking for themselves, that will come out and help others. Amen? So let's jump into a thing. Put your thinking caps on. We're going to think for a little bit. I don't want to bore you guys, but I think this is really, really important. Um, I think that these, somebody taught these guys, Daniel and his friends, to think and to think clearly, to think things all the way to the end. It's easy to think like how like something might work at the beginning. It's hard to think where it leads. Where does the path lead? And we need to be able to become people who think clearly. Um, there's four questions on your notes. Um, in this area, clarity by looking forward. What do I mean by that? Looking to think things through. The four questions I think are really important when I'm looking at worldviews. I call these the four cues for worldviews, the four questions 
for looking at worldviews, ideologies, philosophies. When, when we're facing Nebuchadnezzar and he's saying, believe this, that the idol is true. And, or someone you know, saying to you, believe this uh, philosophy, believe this religion, believe this ideology. Um, these are four questions I think can really help you have clarity. And here's what they are. First is origin. Second is meaning. The third is morality. The fourth is destiny. Origin is, is the question is, where do we come from? Where did this all start? Like, where do we come from? Meaning, why do I exist? Fairly important question, right? If someone does not have that answered, they struggle with life, being motivated. Like, why does this matter? Why is the meaning of my life? Is there purpose to all this? Why do I exist? Morality is the question is, what's good? What's bad? What's right? What's wrong? How does a worldview or an ideology or a faith or a religion, how, how does it answer these questions? You see what I'm saying? Like this is a grid to help you think through. Meaning, why do we exist? Morality, what's good, what's bad? Destiny, where are we going? Where is this headed? Like wh- what's the end game here? What does the religion say about the end of this, all this stuff? And I, I think... When you're asking these questions and you're looking at worldviews, we have to ask them and say, what is the most coherent, like, do the questions that are answered to these questions, origin, meaning, morality, destiny, do they make sense? Are they they connected? Are they disjointed and incoherent? Is it coherent? And then does it correspond or does it connect to reality? Like, someone could have a really great philosophy, a really great way of looking at faith, but if it's like, if it's crazy and there's, you know, like, like, Twinkies are the only thing you should eat for your life, and it's like actually the new cool diet, like Twinkies. You know, like that sounds awesome, but is it connected to reality at all? Okay, so I want to take you through just a few of uh, the grids with a few ideologies, all right? You guys hanging with me? This isn't too boring? We'll do this, and we'll land on the last point, and we'll, we'll uh, worship together. But let me, let me lead you through a few of these. What was the origin story for Babylon? They made an image from human hands, from a human mind, and the, the king said, well, your origin is from this God that I made. That's the origin story. That's the origin question. Meaning, well, what, was the, what meaning was, was found in what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were asked to worship, the worldview they were asked to participate in? What was the meaning? Well, the meaning is uh, of that idol and that way of thinking was you're a slave and a servant of Babylon to the state and to the king Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you have to worship this fake God that you know that we built. And uh, because what we're really trying to do is you need to serve us. So meaning and purpose and worth are found in how much and how well you serve the king. It's a utilitarian way of thinking. It's saying your utility or your abilities to serve and add value to the king and to the state that's what your that's what your meaning in life is that's where your value is morality what's right what's wrong in this system whatever the king and the nation said whatever the king and the nation uh, the king and the nation said he decided i'm making i'm today i'm going to make a idol you know a few, a few weeks later I'm, we saw another king who's like i'm going to i want lions and you know they, just whatever their whim is this is right this is wrong i have an edict i have a creed and it's just up and down the morality what's right and what's wrong your usefulness to the state determines your value and your morality lastly destiny where does this thinking lead um live and then die as a slave of something evil and temporary that's the destiny 
And if you obey long enough, you'll have a longer life of slavery. If you don't obey, like Daniel's friends, your life will be even more temporary and you'll be thrown into an oven. Um, you, you, are, you are supposed to worship a false created image. And so your life is determined and the destiny is determined by that image. Now, some of you guys are like, well, what does that mean for today? Let me give you another ism. You guys thoroughly bored now? Another ism. Hang with me here. I I think this is really important and helpful. In our world, we have what I would call imagism or technologism. Like, I think that there's a a worldview of faith about that. And the origin story of this, the the origin question is answered this way. that The image of you is what you create. So perception is reality in this origin story. You create your image. You are the creator of your image and and the perception that you want people to have of you. So you're the creator. Uh, It's like a sim game that you play, like a video game. That's the origin story. The meaning, what's the meaning uh, that's found in this this way of thinking? Uh, It's convincing the world and yourself uh, that you're... Whatever you think is really important or whatever you feel pressured to conform to, like, I want to be what my parents or I want to be what my friends or I want to be what my grandparents or what my, the world says I should be. So you, if the meaning comes by convincing people and curating a life that tells people I'm beautiful, I'm perfect, my kids are wonderful, we never fight, um, my marriage is wonderful. We never fight. My, uh, my life is incredible. I'm an adventurer. I'm a th- and so if we can convince people of this, of this ideal, then, that's, uh, th- then we've won. That's where we find meaning. Now, of course, it's kind of sad when people find out who you really are. You don't really want people to know who you really are because then that's what destroys your story, destroys the image you're creating. Now, morality is all about then, if that's true... In imagism or technologism, if we'll call it that in our world, morality then is determined by looking good to a shifting world without actually being good. Think about that. Looking good to the world according to what they think looks good in a shifting world without actually being good. So whatever you do whatever feels good, but you don't actually have to learn to be good Make wise decisions. I, and the world is shifting all the time, isn't it? So I want to conform to this. I want to conform to that. I want to conform to this. I want to look. Image, 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 image. That's the most important thing. Because if, if, if people think I'm good, then that makes me feel good. That's the morality, destiny. Um, some of you guys are like taking out your phones like, this is an amazing sermon. Let's take a picture and put this on social media. That was a joke. And I'm not saying this is wrong into itself, but if image becomes the most important thing, we all do have an image and a perception, and that's important, but it's just a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole puzzle. Amen? The destiny of this, it says this, you are eternal, uh, you're basically eternally conformed to the image of what others want you to be and the pressures that you feel you should, you should be. And as long as technology can uphold your image and your perception, then you're great. But the moment that people see who you really are, everything in your world is undone, and that's death. Having people see who you really are is the death of your destiny. Having people see what you want them to see is the life of that destiny. Think about that. We have uh, another, another one is, is scienceism. Some of you guys, in scientism, it's like the belief in the material world, world is, the only, is the only thing. 
Material world is the most important thing. Like you, it's like the the religion of the microscope, which is important. Again, it's a piece of the puzzle. But when the microscope and the and the scientism, uh, it, which to me is a type of faith, because you believe that this is where all the answers are, becomes the main thing. It is the puzzle, not, rather than a piece of the puzzle. That's where everything gets really jacked up. And some of you guys are like, you're thinking to yourself, like, I, you got your Richard Dawkins quotes. He's the famous atheist, and. Um, you're like getting ready to like throw the, his book at me. But uh, I've always wondered, like, I've always thought it would be really funny if Richard Dawkins and some of like the, you know, secular humanist atheists, they, they like, they hate like, you know, Christian, you know, beliefs and they're not big fans of that, especially Richard. But like secretly they're like closet Christian 80s music lovers. They just like Michael W. Smith and, you know, like I can't stand those Christians, but their music was so good. Dang it. Anyways, I'm getting, I'm digressing. <laughs> So the origin story, I'm going to go through this quickly, is that you're, you came from nothing and then you were primordial ooze and then you became something. Meaning, you can't answer the question of meaning because science only asks the question, how does this work? How does this particle relate to this particle? How does this break down? How does this break down? How does this break down? How does this work? How does this work? How does this work? It doesn't answer the question, what does this mean? What's the purpose beyond it? Science is not designed by that. That's why it's a piece of the puzzle, but it's not the whole puzzle. Morality, what is, what is morality in the sciencism, the, the, the materialism, where it's only the material, only the things you can see under microscope that, that, is, that is real. There's nothing else. There's nothing outside the microscope well the morality of that is the strong eat the weak it's social darwinism if you're stronger then you eat the weak like that's morality like too bad for the weaker you know part of the species the weaker members of this community the weaker countries of this world but the strong eating the weak that's the natural order that's morality and if you're strong it's great but if you're weaker it's not there's no strength and weakness in this in this system and if that's the primary organizing logic, that's the problem. Destiny is that you're, you're destined to go back to ooze and then nothingness. So what that means is only matter matters. Scientists will like this quote. Only matter matters, which means nothing really matters. Do you follow me? Some of you are like... It, it, this means that like meaning, purpose are all just illusions. We tell ourselves to feel better about ourselves because nothing really matters. We started with nothing, we end with nothing. That's where that kind of, that's a type of faith. Scientism leads. Christianity says this you were formed and created by God. You matter. You're made of matter and spirit. You are both eternal and you have physical body. There's temporary and there's physical aspects to us right now. Meaning, we're given purpose by God to worship and love God and love other people. We were designed to love. Morality, we're made in God's image. Every human has infinite value, so we love and we sacrifice and we give so that others can see the love of God because they matter. And we become like God when we serve and we sacrifice and we give and we're creative and we, and we love. Christ is the key example. He overcame evil. He overcame strength by giving himself up. He unwound the strong, strong eating the weak. It was the weak eating the strong in this case of Christ. He puts his arms out wide, dies for the sins of the world, and he gives us ultimate meaning and a destiny. And this is what I love, love, love. Don't miss this. Write this in your notes if you can. The destiny of Christians is we are unending, empowered spiritual beings. We are unending, eternal, never-ending empowered spiritual beings. Empowered means we can make decisions, we can make choices, we can be creative, we can love, we can choose to love, we can choose to hate, and there's hardship with that, but we have that capacity because God has built that in us. We are in the image of God, redeemed in Christ. We are destined for eternity in God's great universe. 
millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years, we are designed to move greater and greater into the greatness of God, seeing more wonderful things than you can ever imagine. You and I are designed for that. Being, being part of relationships that we never knew could go this deep, knowing God on levels that we could never fathom now, like we're designed for that. And friends, um, like we have to be able to see this stuff to have clarity, to have the courage to stand up to the other garbage. Are you with me? Now, the last thing here is clarity comes by looking inside. I had a friend who was, his name was Jared, and he was on the sciences, and he was uh, really believed in a lot, and like science is the way, and, and he didn't like pastors. He was always making fun of pastors. I met him at a party, and he was always making fun of me, but I was like, I would laugh because it was true, and it was funny. He would say things that were funny, but there was a lot of barbs to what he was saying, and he, he didn't like Christianity at all. One day I got a call to meet him and his girlfriend. It was late at night and a friend of theirs had died in a car accident. And we got, we got talking and at one, mo- one point he told me, he's like, George, I went and saw his body and he had never really opened up heart, his heart, you know, looking inside and opening up his heart to me before. And he, and he did here. He just said, I looked at my friend's body and everything was there. Everything he should need to live, his heart, his lungs, blood, brain, everything. And he's like, even if doctors got his blood flowing again and perfectly fixed his heart and his liver and all that stuff and got him working again, he, he wasn't there. He, he wasn't there. Like, his body was there, but he wasn't there. He's gone. Something that made him him was gone. And it was like all of a sudden God was bursting into this worldview that said the world is only what you can see in a microscope, only what, you know, the liver, the lungs, all the material pieces. But he's like, but all of a sudden his eyes were open and he said, like, there has to be something more because my friend isn't there anymore, even though his body's there. It was just like the light bulb came on. And over time, through our conversations, he became a Christian. These are his words, words of an atheist. He said, for me, becoming a Christian was the removal of ignorance. That's him, an atheist, saying that as he came to Christ. And there's some questions like, uh, like, how do we explain love? How do we explain beauty? How do we explain longing in the heart for relationship? Why do we miss and grieve those who are gone? Why do we have any of that that science can't answer onto its own? So we have to learn to look inside, Amen. Last thing about looking inside is this. We have to be willing to ask, ask this question. Who am I in this story? Because when I read this, I want to be the hero. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm Daniel. I'm his friend standing up to the king. And I'm standing for my faith. And that's great. But in this story, do, do we have the courage to get the clarity and ask, who am I in this story? Let me put it to you this way. Are there areas where you, are, you get so angry and have so much rage because someone has offended you or an idea, maybe your faith, maybe your family, whatever, your, your political views, and you have created an oven and you are willing to throw people in the oven and make them suffer for how they've wronged you? Are you, are you facing people and standing up for God and you've got your fists up? The God I serve, Jesus, was sent to the earth and he died with his hands outstretched for his enemies and often we want to fight people and we got our hands up we got our ovens up to seven or eleven that tells me that we are becoming like Nebuchadnezzar we're not being Daniel and his friends 
And Christians, you've got to hear this. The world does not need more Nebuchadnezzars fighting what they think are Nebuchadnezzars. They need Daniels, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They need people like that standing in truth but love. There's a guy named Paul who wrote third of the New Testament. Before he was a Christian, he said he would attack and persecute and throw Christians into jail and, and, and into prison. And he saw, he actually stood and watched a guy get killed because he was a Christian, a guy named Stephen. And he approved it. He said it was, he, had, he had anger and murderous anger. He was filled with rage at these Christians. And he felt justified. He said, I, according to the law, I was better and stronger and smarter than anybody else that was my age. I had advanced beyond everybody else in my religion. And he's like, I followed my traditions to the T. And then all of a sudden God blinded me and said, all those people you've been persecuting, all the times, you, all the people you've been fighting, you've been fighting me. And he had this moment that changed him forever where he was blinded and he realized the God he claimed to be serving he was actually fighting. And I think if you would ask the old Paul, whose name was Saul, he changed, God changed his name, the old Saul, and when he read the Bible, and he knew the Bible, when he read Daniel, who did he think he was when he was throwing Christians into his oven? I'm Shadrach, I'm Daniel, I'm defending God, I'm protecting the way, the truth, and life. I'm defending God. And then when his eyes were open and he realized he'd been fighting God and he read the story of Daniel, who, how did he read it differently? And he reads Daniel, all of a sudden I could see him crying. Like just his heart just being broken because he's realizing that as he's reading these pages that he thought he was Daniel the whole time. He thought he was Daniel's friends. But really he's been, he's been Nebuchadnezzar. He's been throwing people in the furnace. Let me ask you, do you have the courage to ask, who am I in this story? Because we can never become Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel until we realize where we've been Nebuchadnezzar. Do you have the courage to seek clarity? Do you have the courage to think for yourself? Do you have the courage to to know what you're willing to live and to die for and draw the line? And are you willing to ask, Who am I in this story? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. I just pray that some of of this would speak to people's heart. It would sink in. Lord, there'd be areas of truth that people are needing to apply, areas of thinking for themselves. But Lord, maybe maybe people just need to see differently and realize, man, that they've they've been so angry and so furious and their fists have been up and the ovens have been turned up. Lord, they're, they're acting like Nebuchadnezzar and they need to let that go. Lord, would you free us Would you free us, would you free us to follow you, not worship idols, not be enraged, not to enter and conform to the anger and the fighting of the world. When our fists are up, we look just like the world whose fists are up. Lord, help us to have arms outstretched with forgiveness, with restoration, with love for this world, for our families, for our coworkers, for everybody we encounter. Lord, change our hearts, change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.